It's 6 o'clock, and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, July 30th, 2021, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Kelly Reese returns on Monday. PG&E is in the news again. Tonight's California report explains how Shasta County's district attorney has decided that the utility giant is criminally liable for last year's Zog fire, which killed four people. After a look at regional headlines and weather, Felton Pruitt talks to founding member of the Yonder Mountain String Band, Ben Kaufman. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The district attorney of Shasta County has decided the utility, Pacific Gas and Electric, is criminally liable for causing last year's Zog fire. That blaze killed four people and destroyed more than 200 homes. But DA Stephanie Bridget has not said what exact charges she'll bring against the utility giant. In a statement, PG&E says it's continuing to negotiate settlements with individual victims of the Zog fire and does not agree with the decision that criminal charges are warranted. Last year, the company's then chief executive entered guilty pleas for 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter and acknowledged criminal liability for causing 2018's campfire. That blaze was the deadliest and most destructive fire in state history. This year's California fire season is off to a fast start, outpacing 2020, which was the worst year on record. Cap Radio Scott Rod reports. Wildfires have burned over 480,000 acres in California so far this year. That's about four times the total during the same time last year. That's led some experts to fear that 2021 could be the most active fire season on record, surpassing the historic 4.3 million acres burned in 2020. There are several major fires active in the state right now. The Dixie Fire, burning in Butte and Plumas counties, is currently the 13th largest fire in state history. Utility PG&E says its equipment may have started the fire, though the cause remains under investigation. For the California Report... I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. One of Los Angeles's most extraordinary works of art isn't in a museum or gallery. It's in a flood control channel in the San Fernando Valley. Painted in the 1970s, it's more than a half-mile-long mural called the Great Wall of L.A. It depicts scenes, sometimes painful ones, from California history and people's long, hard struggle for justice. The mural was conceived by pioneering Latina artist Judy Baca, who's getting a lot of renewed attention right now. There's a retrospective of Baca's work at Long Beach's Museum of Latin American Art. Her archives have been acquired by the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, and work has started to expand the Great Wall of L.A. with new murals. Now in her 70s, I met up with Baca at her L.A. studios to discuss her still very active artistic life. You know, I guess I I never really um, related to age you know, I always related to processes, like this project will be finished now and then this other thing will begin. So for my life has been measured more by creative work than it has by numbers. And so I'm rather shocked that I'm the age I am. <laughs> I'm rather shocked that all these years have passed and uh, I expect that I'll just keep going like this as long as I, I have the grace to do it. So is the Judy Baca at your age... 
are you pretty similar to the person you were at 22, 23, 24 in terms of your interests, in terms of what you're committed to? Absolutely. Uh, although it's deeper and has greater understanding, there's a certain wisdom that's come from fighting many battles to you know, put forward, for example, the issues of farm workers or to put forward the issues that women face, and uh, not only in the arts but in the, the working world. You know, all of my work has started from realism, never really shying away from the roadkill. I, mean, I say I'm a person who looks at roadkill, right? I, I'm interested in seeing what exactly is the problem, right? To see what is real and then become upset about it to the degree that I begin to start proposing solutions. So you aren't someone who, who says the artist, it's okay if the artist is in, lives in splendid isolation in the artist garret and doesn't get his or her hands dirty in the affairs of the world. When's the last time that served an artist? <laughs> I mean, no, I don't really support that thought. And as a, a Latina, as a Chicana growing up in Los Angeles, I didn't see that there would be a road for me, even if I could manage that, because there were no models for that. But what I did see was the interaction with my family and my community and the, how appreciative they were when we transformed an ugly corner into something beautiful. I saw how kids blossomed in the process of being included, that um, I saw the creative process as transformative and, and magical. And why the embrace of muralism so early in your career, and it's been a constant since? What is it that you see in murals that you fell in love with and you're so passionate about to this day? It's the scale. You know, the scale is totally addictive and, you know, amazing to work in. I mean, it, creating something that is larger than yourself is, is an amazing experience. But I would say that the reason I came to muralism had much more to do with community action in terms of people writing on walls and graffiti that was being used in the neighborhoods and uh, in some cases gang territories where people were saying, this is who I hang with, this is where I live, this is how I identify, this is the geography of my land and of my life. And so I got really interested in how that could be transformed into more um, articulate statements. And that became really fascinating to me because if we could connect ourselves to the land and to history, then we could understand the contributions of our families and how we were essential to the building of America. All right, Judy Baca, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for the time. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. 
And that is the California Report for Friday, July 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Have a good day and a great weekend. Gladys Martinez and Mike Colomb, both longtime residents of Penn Valley, are spearheading the effort to incorporate their western Nevada County community. The organizers say that residents feel neglected by the county. Here's Mike. Well, what happens is we all pay taxes down here on our properties, right? Money goes to the county, and the county doesn't bring anything back to Penn Valley proper. Um, so we're part of the un- unincorporated area of you know, Nevada County. And Nevada County doesn't have any interest in doing much down here whatsoever. So, yeah, we've asked them for some help on a few little teeny projects, and they've said, no, they're not going to give us any money. One of the big reasons to incorporate, he says, is to have their own police department. We, we get the sheriff and send somebody down for, you know, a couple hours a day. They, they do drive through and they spend some time here and then they're gone. And, and that lack of presence, of permanent presence, um, it, it, it's hurt our town, and most of the businesses in town have been broken into on, on numerous occasions. Incorporating isn't easy, and it isn't cheap either. The first step is, you know, the interest that we have, and we have enough. I, there's enough people in Penn Valley that that are, are that are for this. We have, I think, sixteen thousand eight hundred people that are inside of the Penn Valley Fire District, which is what we'd like our city limits to be. And then with that being said, um, so the first thing is to have the interest of people. And then the next one is to raise the money necessary for what's called a feasibility study. If their efforts succeed, Penn Valley would become the second largest city in Nevada County. The Penn Valley Incorporation fundraiser happens tomorrow at 3 p.m. at the Martinez Ranch on Indian Springs Road in Penn Valley. According to Ubinet, Nevada County Public Health is reporting 65 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 247 cases are active in our county, 9 are hospitalized. And a note for local residents, Bell Road in North Auburn is closed at New Airport Road. Motorists heading to Interstate 80 are advised to use alternative routes. In regional weather, for Grass Valley, Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 71 degrees. Saturday, mostly sunny with a high near 94. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m., then a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms after 5 a.m., then mostly cloudy with a low around 55. Saturday, a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly after 8 p.m., then partly sunny with a high near 80 degrees. Finally, for Sacramento and Woodland, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 63. Saturday will be sunny and hot with a high near 95. Next, founding member of the Yonder Mountain String Band, Ben Kaufman, talks to Felton Pruitt about how a major rock band survives an entire year and a half of COVID and still moves forward in this ever-changing world. We're talking with Ben Kaufman, founding member and bass player and vocalist for the Yonder Mountain String Band, also a local resident of Nevada City. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks, Felton. Thanks for having me. 
So you guys are out in the road right now, Yonder Mountain String Band is, and you're out in Colorado, and then you're going to be uh, taking a break for a while and then hitting it again. Yeah, we've got to, uh, we're feeling like we got to work while we can. You know, the general consensus is sort of nobody's sure about the fall. And once these gigs start moving indoors, you know, depending on how things are going with the pandemic, those shows may happen, they may not, nobody knows. So we're trying to make hay while the sun shines. While the summer sun shines. Apparently, it's, that's all it does anymore is have <laughs> the sun shining. Yeah, so, I, well, you know, that's interesting. I wanted to talk with you about this a little bit because you're a major rock band, touring band. The pandemic had a major effect on your whole, uh, well, on Yonder Mountain String Band's present existence. But you still managed to do some stuff. I remember seeing you last year playing for the Telluride guys out in Lions. Was it Lions you were playing at? or? Yep, they did some alternate substituting sort of festival experiences. Very, very different, though, than you know an actual Telluride. And so now we move forward into the middle of the summer. And then you've got the fall and the winter. Have you booked a lot of stuff that now is kind of iffy? Well, I mean, everything's still on the books. And as of now, everything's still a go. But we pay attention to the markers and which direction everything's moving. And uh, we're not exactly sure how it's going to go. Uh, you know, do you require proof of vaccination? Do you sort of roll the dice and let everybody kind of handle their own business? It's also not only state by state, but county by county. So you may end up in a place where, I don't know, you got a, a gig in, you know, Chicago, and they may have different rules than Pittsburgh. We're sort of being flexible, but there's also the business of it, too. If all of a sudden you can only sell, you know, 100 tickets instead of 800 tickets, you can't really afford to play that show. Right, to fly a band. You know out. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, gas for the bus, and everybody's, you know, all the crew gets paid, and so it's, sort of it still feels very unsettled but really we've just been out about a week and it's our first tour basically since the pandemic started like an actual get on the bus drive around for three weeks tour how big an entourage are you traveling with right now including band members and then road crew well we scaled down big time just had to because of uh, the pandemic and finances and everything so we've got five in the band and then three crew members plus a bus driver, and everybody's sort of doing double duty, handling, picking up, you know, bits and pieces here and there, just trying to get out and, you know, make it work and have it be viable so that at the end of the run, everybody can, you know, make money and go home and pay their mortgages again. One of these days, my mortgage company is going to ask me to start paying them again. You know, <laughs> There's a lot of people in that boat. Yeah, save my save my butt. If it wasn't for that, I'm sure we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be. So as far as booking and contracts, how has that changed since the pandemic happened? I mean, I've done booking for over 25 years. You've been a rock band for, you know, 20, 25 years. Initially, you would sign a contract with a club to come in and play, and then they'd give you a deposit and then you'd show up on that date and get the rest of the money or whatever. That, has that whole model changed because of the pandemic? Are there a whole bunch of ifs, ands, and buts in there now? There are definitely, you know, uh, COVID addendums. And personally, Yonder has a COVID rider. 
So very specific protocols for how the space needs to be sort of maintained and cleaned and how people have to uh, behave themselves if you're backstage or, or local crew members. And as far as like the booking side of it, it looks the same, but a lot of the promoters that we work with, you know, they've been out of work for the last 18 months too. So guarantees have gone way down. They're not able to offer the same amounts of money to have bands show up. So a lower front end that you make up on the back end if you, you know, assuming you can sell tickets. But, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it aren't, there's not too much change in that. Still feels um, it still feels very similar to how it did, but also different in you know a very pandemic-y way. We're talking with Ben Kaufman from the Yonder Mountain String Band, who got a little bit of a tour going, and then are going to take a break and see how things go. Talk just a little bit about how Yonder is doing recording-wise. Have you made plans to make another record? We just finished mastering the new record, so we, that's how we spent our pandemic: is making, writing, and recording new record. That will be out in, it's actually not going to be out until May, end of January, early February next year, primarily because there is a massive backlog of in vinyl production, in actual record album production. There's only, you know, half a handful of companies in the world that do it. And the one that we work with is in, uh, I want to say it's in the Czech Republic, and they are just literally almost a year backlogged. You said vinyl, so this, you're, not, you're not backlogged because you can't make a CD, you're backlogged because you can't make an LP? And that's how, believe it or not, that's where we make most of our money on music sales. And by a lot, actually, is vinyl record sales. And how long has that been going on? When did it switch from CD sales to vinyl sales being your, your main go? Two years. Okay, right before the pandemic I mean, then. Yeah, I mean, we get, you know, you get your checks every what quarter from the streaming services, but it's really not, it's, it's not a livable, you know, it's not a livable amount of money. And we're, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of streams. And it's still, you know, it's it's a laughable amount of money that those companies pay artists. And then you still sell CDs. I mean, you know, the distribution companies want actual CDs still, and it's still good to have them to send to radio stations, you know, although I think a lot of that can be, you know, people are getting music digitally there as well. And I don't know how KVMR does it, but... Um, it's pretty much you know, digital. Maybe. I mean, my, the way I've been getting music for the last few years and the way KVMR gets it, it's all in the digital world. So CDs are pretty much being phased out. It's hard to find a CD player to put in the studios here, one sturdy enough to do that. Yeah, I've got one in my truck, and that's, the, that's it. I've never used it, though. <laughs> you know, but it's so, so it doesn't really make, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to spend money to produce CDs. It's almost like, hey, we made a movie. We're, let's make laser discs. But nobody's going to buy a Laserdisc. Let's go back to your general business plan of a modern rock band touring now. There was revenue streams were touring, and then product sales. And your main product is an album, your music. So you would sell it on downloads, and then LPs would be, your. you say, is now your main money market. Yeah, by a long shot. Yonder's always been principally a touring band. So the you know whatever money I make is primarily coming from ticket sales then you know merch t-shirts and hats and you know 
and music sales, but particularly vinyl. That sort of makes the that really makes the world go round. Um, so those are the two things, and then you get you know some uh, licensing and from songs that we've written over the years and that get used in various places. Um, so you make a little bit of money there, but really it's the same as it as it's ever been in that selling tickets to the live show is the that's you know that's how I you know in theory eventually we'll be paying my mortgage again. Were you guys eligible for unemployment when uh, COVID hit? Oh yeah. We were very, very lucky. You know, the van started in Colorado, and we were very lucky to have some older sort of older brother bands to tell us how we should be doing things. We organized our business correctly from the get-go, which means paying into all of the all the taxes and you know doing everything by the book, very much by the book. And that really paid off this last year because we were able to to approach the state of Colorado and say, look, this is what's happened, and Colorado's been just amazing. I know people in California have not had the same experience, so I feel um, very lucky that the, the band and the businesses are Colorado-based because the, the state of Colorado really took care of me. I mean, it, you know, I wasn't making money, but I was able to keep, buy, you know, buy food and take care of my kid. You know what I mean? Like the, the the real critical stuff. Because I was worried, and I think like a lot of artists, that the whatever little amount of money I've been able to save over the years, that that would just go away. You know, I would be hemorrhaging money to just be able to afford to live. And the governments, the, the state of Colorado and the feds, they took care of me, man. They took care of a lot of people that I know. And I'm very very grateful for that because i never had to you know i never had to stress too much there was moments of stress and obviously you're looking at this big picture thing and you're in the middle of a pandemic so there's health stress and well-being and that kind of stuff but in terms of being able to know if i could afford to get you know bread and milk and eggs i never had to worry about that um, which was a blessing if people want to find out uh, what's going on with Yonder when the new albums are coming out and when the tour is happening, what, how do people do that? You can go to our website, which is yondermountain.com, but probably a better um, better thing is to go to any of the social media places, your favorite places. Go to Facebook or Instagram or whichever ones you, you like to do. And uh, that's that's the easiest way, I think, to keep track of us. We've been talking with Ben Kaufman from Yonder Mountain String Band. We certainly wish you the best and hope to see Yonder Mountain here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area in the very near future. Thanks, Felton. Love KVMR and, uh, and love that area. You know, called it home for 10 years and just love everybody there. So thanks for, thanks for talking to me. That concludes our newscast. Our thanks go out to Weiss Hardscaping, introducing low-maintenance, fire-safe, outdoor living space design and installation 
utilizing ornamental concrete, natural stone, and composite hard surfaces for retaining walls, shade structures, water features, fire pits, and outdoor kitchen areas. Information, goweisshardscaping.com. And the Nevada City Farmer's Market, every Saturday from 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Union Alley through November. Featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, and live music. EBT accepted. ncfarmersmarket.org Well, coming up next is the California Report magazine, and at 7 p.m. it's Democracy Now! I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks very much for listening, and have a good weekend.